0: We've been doing this series through the book of 1 John. 1 John is a small book, but it's taken us quite a long time to get through it because we're going very slowly. And I hope that's okay because we want to get as much as we can from this book. We call the series uh, theme for his glory and for our benefit. The goal for every lesson, not just in 1 John, but every lesson in the word of God is to both glorify God's great name and to benefit us as his people. And that's a beautiful thing that God has worked out that relationship where we don't have to pick one. The same thing that glorifies God is the same thing that benefits us. The same things that benefit us as his children are the same things that glorify his name. Last week we started this two-part series that we're calling the Spiritual War. So today we're going to look at the Spiritual War Part 2. And we're going to be in 1 John Chapter 4. Look at it verses 2 to 6. 1 John Chapter 4 verses 2 to 6. Before we get to the scripture here, New Hampshire. We live in New Hampshire. It has a slogan. What is the slogan for New Hampshire? Live free or die. (laughs) We say that with gusto, don't we? Especially that die part. (laughs) Well, I wonder what it would be like if the North Country had their own slogan. Not just New Hampshire, but the North Country part of New Hampshire. What if the North Country had their slogans? I'm going to give you Ten slogans, potential slogans for the North Country. If you like any of these, you take them right to the town, okay? You let them know that we all voted and this is the one that we should go with, okay? Potential North Country slogans. If you guys like, like these, we can get behind these, okay? I'm going to look at ten of these. Number one, beware falling old men's faces. That's, that's kind of sad. That's not exactly what we want representing ourselves. How about this, number two? Rivers, mountains, and notches, oh my. Does anyone get that? What's that from? What is it from? Wizard of Oz, good job. That's right. How about this, number three? Moose crossing. Ha, just kidding. Because that's really what all the moose crossing signs are saying. There's no moose. Actually, there might be. You need to slow down. Don't blame me. How about number four? Our mountains can beat up your mountains. We had mountains in Pennsylvania, but not like here. Your mountains are better than our, our mountains were. So that's a good slogan. How about this? Number five, logs, cogs, Joe. and Joel White's dogs. I, I actually think I could get behind that one. Kind of represents everything we're about, doesn't it, Joel? How about number six? We like our mountains tall, our summers short, and our candy counters long. That's right. Shudders. Number seven, live free or try to have a peaceful dialogue about why freedom is important. And if that doesn't work, then die. I think there needs to be one step between live free or die. I think if we can have one peaceful dialogue, see if we can sort things out. If not, then we'll die. How about this one? Number eight, welcome Flatlanders. We hope you enjoy your visit, but don't consider moving here because you'll never really belong. And I'm saying that with a tear rolling down my cheek. I'm a flatlander, but I live here. My family lives here. I've had a daughter here. Still not a North Countryman. What will it take? Number, lo- number nine, don't like it here? Take a hike. <laughs> it could be nice. It could be mean. We're not sure. Take a hike. We think by taking a hike, you'll end up liking it here. And number 10 slogan for the North Country. After fall is over, please leave us alone. <laughs> Come on. I shouldn't be hearing sighs during the icebreaker. Come on, that's clever. Leave us alone. Leave us alone? Yeah, I could have gone that direction. I like the subtlety of leave, though. I feel like you could pick that up better. Well, today we're going to talk about four, three signs. We are we're going to talk about three signs from 1 John as we look at the spiritual war part two. If you have your Bibles, join us over there. I've encouraged you along the way to read 1 John once a week. Every week, if you're able to, read 1 John. I believe that's going to be a ministry to you. I don't say that just to have you home, have, uh, be able to give you homework. I say that because I believe it's going to bless you. If you haven't started that practice, please start that as soon as you can. It has benefited my soul, even as, as I prepare to teach. Reading through 1 John has been a benefit for me. Let's read our passage today. It's 1 John 4, verses 2 to 6. Listen to the Word of God. John says this, By this you know the Spirit of God, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The word of God. I've also encouraged you when you're reading through a book is to consider the context. Remember where you are coming from so that you, it helps you understand where you're going to. And so let's do that as well. Let's remember the verses from last week as we talked about the spiritual war part one. And let's remember what John just told us about obedience, because the two go hand in hand. He said this in 1 John 3, the end of 1 John 3, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So again, we need to make sure these two hold hands. These passages are meant to go together. Our three-point outline today is this, the sign of our helper, number one. Number two, the sign of our enemy. And number three, the sign of our victory. We're going to find these right from the word of God. So follow along as we go here. Number one, the sign of our helper. It's right there in the text. Before we get there, though, if I asked you what is the best invention over the last 500 years, What would be your answer? Well, I decided to look that up on the internet and see what their idea of the best inventions ever were. Uh, Number one, actually, these two came together in the second century, paper and the compass. Now, any of you guys who hike, you probably still use a compass, right? I use paper almost every day of my life, so those inventions are still blessing us. Those are long-term, helpful inventions. In 1439 came the printing press, which allowed us to put words in print and mass-produce them so people could get news and things like that. In 1712, the steam engine, well before the car, came and allowed us to transport and and travel at high rates of speed. In 1876, the telephone came along, and that one, of course, is still blessing us every day of our lives. In 1877, the phonograph, anyone have a phonograph? Sorry, that's that's a really old joke. But (laughs) it allows us to listen to music, right? We still do that. We have streaming now and CDs and things like that. And uh, the phonograph came along and before the 1900s. That's amazing. Also before the 1900s was the light bulb. I can't imagine an, an invention being more important than that, bringing light upon our darkness. In 1903, we had airplanes, which we still use of course today. 1941 was the computer. It's amazing it's that old. And in 1990, the World Wide Web that was simply known as the internet. What do you believe is the most important invention up there? Well, it's hard to, it's hard to know because we use all of those at great capacity. Let's ask another question. Who are the most powerful people in the world? Well, I decided to ask the internet again, and Forbes came up, maybe you've heard of that website. Forbes came up with these top four people that they believe are the most powerful people in the world. Number one is Xi Jinping. Everyone say that name, Xi Jinping. Isn't that fun to say? Number two, Vladimir Putin. Uh, Number three, Donald Trump. And number four, Angela Merkel. That's who Forbes believes are the most powerful people in the world. I also decided to look up what is the most powerful weapon in the world. Well, as you might guess, they're all nuclear. Uh, Little Boy, which was dropped on Hiroshima, was once the biggest, then Fat Man beat that. And then Le Corne, I'm not sure how you say that one, tested in France in 1970, was the biggest. Uh, 1954, Castle Bravo, and then the biggest one of all, the Tsar Bomba, which was tested by the USSR in 1961. You see how higher? That is than the others. The most powerful weapon in the world. Why am I bringing these up? The best invention, the most powerful people, and the most powerful weapon. Where we're going to talk about something like that today? Something really, really powerful. It is, of course, our Lord, our great Lord in heaven. In Jeremiah thirty-two seven, it says this: "Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing." is too hard for you amen is anything more powerful than our god is it even close and the answer is no of course divine power created the world and everything that we know without even moving without even using his hands he spoke it into existence i mean what kind of power does our god have and the prophet says of course there is nothing too hard for you and we all believe that we all sing about that that our god is the greatest power that could ever exist but this actually changes our life if we understand it right, that God's power could be with us. In 2 Peter 1, the the Apostle Peter says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that amazing? God's divine power has been given to us so that we can be godly, so that we can live this life the way God has called us to live it. God knew we were going to need a heavy dose of his power, so he gave us that power through his Holy Spirit. And that's what John is going to bring up today is another reminder of that power. So he says this in verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. By this you, Christian, have to be a child of God first to understand that. You know the Spirit of God. And this has been a pattern that John keeps bringing up, this concept of you know. You guys remember this, growing up, the more you know? Remember that, seeing that on TV? They would give you a little tidbit and say, the more you know. Well, I found this going through the book of 1 John. How many times John has brought up this phrase? And I'm not sure if you can see that or not, but I'll just recite them really quickly. John has said this phrase over and over during the book. He says in verse 3 of chapter 2, and by this we know that we have come to know him. In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 2, he says, By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Chapter 2, verse 21, he says, I write to you because you know the truth. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Chapter 3, verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life. Chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Chapter 3, verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. In chapter 3, verse 24, it says, By this we know that he abides in us. Do you see that? John doesn't want us guessing or assuming or assuming that because we've been in the church so long that that's plenty. John wants us to know for absolute certainty that the things that are important to us are true in our lives. So he says this phrase over and over. We know, or we can know. We don't have to guess. We don't have to guess if we have the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing to know? Because you know this, and maybe you do know this, maybe you don't know this, but most of the religious world believes they have God's power with them. Most of them know that. Most of them believe that. That God's power is with them to do what they are trying to do. But the answer, the sad answer to that question is many of those people are deceived. And they haven't tested it like John wants us to test it. That do we actually have God's power in our life or are we just saying that we do? Because it's easy to say that you have the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to prove it. And John doesn't want us to just say it. He wants us to know it and then to prove it. Because that power is going to change life, our life and those around us. So he says, by this you know the Spirit of God. And this is how you know Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Isn't that powerful? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh in human form is from God. And that's important for us to understand that the spirit, the true spirit of God would confess that. And the false spirits would want to avoid that. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit. In the scriptures, you see Jesus um, asking this question to his disciples. Who am I? Who was Jesus? There's a lot of debate around who Jesus was. Most people, regardless if they're religious or not, believe Jesus Christ, the man, existed because it's historical. And you can point back to many ancient texts that prove that there was a Jesus of Nazareth that was crucified, and many people claim that he rose from the dead. But Jesus wasn't, wasn't good enough with even that. He decided to ask his disciples... A question saying, "Who who do people say that I am?" And the response was, "Well, some people think you're John the Baptist, and other people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're just a prophet." So Jesus decided to turn the question on them and said, "Who do you say that I am? Am I just a religious person? Am I just a rabbi? Am I a good teacher? Am I a prophet like the other prophets?" And the answer that Peter gave is so profound. He said to them, "Jesus." But who do you say that I am? To the disciples, and Simon Simon Peter chimed in, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See that answer from Peter? Now, Peter, this is before Peter receives the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But something had been made abundantly clear to Peter that he was before the Son of God. He was ministering alongside of the Messiah, the Christ, the long foretold Messiah. And so he, Jesus wanted to know if the, if the apostles believed that they were with the Christ or with a, just a religious man. And notice Jesus' answer back to Peter. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The word is manifest. And we talked about this several, several studies ago about how Jesus manifested himself to the world he did it through miracles he did it through his own teaching he did it by rising from the dead jesus did it so many ways so that it was clear and obvious to those who were around him that he wasn't just a religious man he was the christ he was the messiah he was the savior of the world he was the son of the living god and peter knew it and jesus said blessed are you peter for you know it because my father has revealed it to you has he revealed it to you That Jesus is the Christ? I'm guessing he has because you're sitting here. But that's a question we need to pose to ourselves. And this is all over the scripture. If you don't understand that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah or the Son of God, just simply open the Bible and the Bible will make it very, very clear to you. John, the same person who's writing our book, 1 John, in the Gospel of John, referring to who? When he says the word, he's referring to Jesus. He says the word, Jesus, became flesh. Now, you have to understand, Jesus in heaven was not flesh. Okay? He was spirit, just like our God is spirit. But when he came to this earth, he did something remarkable. He put on flesh. He became human. He became physical so that he could dwell with physical and minister with physical and eventually die for those who are physical. And he says he made his dwelling among us. In fact, you remember the name Emmanuel? How do you spell that? I should probably test that before I write it what does that name mean? who knows what Emmanuel means? God with us not religious man with us not pastor with us not rabbi with us God with us that's the name Jesus that's what his name means God is with us and John says we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth is there any doubt in your mind sitting here today that Jesus is the Christ? Any doubt at all that He's the true Son of God? He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Is there any doubt in your mind? Because there doesn't have to be. You could be absolute sure of that sitting here today, and that's the goal. In fact, God Himself declared from heaven at least two occasions that we know of this beautiful, powerful phrase, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Notice there's not a comma. Listen to him and to John and to Peter and any rabbi, anyone who says they're a good teacher, any pastor. He says, no, no, no. This, the Christ, my son, is my beloved son. Listen to him. He stamped Jesus above and beyond any other religious person saying he is the Christ and he is the Messiah of the world. So John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And that's very important for us to know. Because we live in a spiritual-influenced world, don't we? The spiritual realm and the physical realm are very close to one another. Now, the spiritual realm is mysterious. We can't reach out and touch it like we can the physical world. But the spiritual world is all around us. And I said, if you ever doubt that, just walk around Littleton, walk around the bookstores, and you'll see the spiritual realm all around us. People are tapping into the spiritual realm. And you might think that's a very good thing, that people are not just physical, but they're seeking something beyond. Well, it can be, but it can also be very, very dark. Because there's many false spirits out there as well, and John wants us to warn us of that fact. And the scriptures make it abundantly clear that the Christ is the catalyst. The Christ is the reason that you know the spirit is from God or the spirit is from somebody else. Because what do they say about Jesus? In Acts 4.12, it says, there is salvation in no one else. Do you notice the lines that God draws? When When he says nobody else, he says literally there is no Savior besides the Christ. If you don't find the Christ, you don't find Savior. You don't find salvation. Because there is no other Savior. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God draws that distinct line and says, only my son You must find my son. You must follow my son. You must trust in my son. He is the only Savior of the world, and I want to make that very, very clear. So, who would the Holy Spirit reiterate to us? He would reiterate that exact phrase, that exact fact, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. In John 15, this is a passage I really love. This is Jesus himself speaking. He's referring to that Holy Spirit, and he calls him the Helper. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do for us. He's going to help us do what? As we talked about last week, obey the commandments. He's going to help us do exactly what Jesus taught us and told us to do. So Jesus says, when the helper comes, which he will and he has, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, notice the phrase of truth, not just any spirit, but the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. His objective will be very clear. Magnify Jesus. Magnify him. Let everyone know that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one of God. Listen to him, trust in him, and follow his commandments. That is how you know you have the spirit of truth. And if you hear from a spirit or any inward voice, That doesn't reiterate that. John's going to highlight that as well because that happens all the time. This is the litmus test for whether we know we have the Holy Spirit. Is it all about Jesus? Now, I'll be honest. Growing up, it wasn't all about Jesus for me. I got very confused in my Christian circles. Church attendance, what I wear, what I listen to, who I hang out with, external things that I did. Jesus was somewhere in the mix. But it wasn't all about Jesus until that mid part of my 20s that the Holy Spirit came to me and highlighted and magnified the sufficiency of Jesus and says, Todd, don't look anywhere else. Don't look to your right or to your left. Keep your eyes fixed upon the one who is the Christ, the Son of God. Whatever he says, do that. Whatever he did, follow that pattern. And if it doesn't come from that pattern, if it doesn't come from Jesus' mouth, Be very careful listening to it because it's not sent for your good. It's sent for your bad, your negative, your hurt, your harm. So before we move on on today, are you convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the only Savior of the world? I have to ask that because that question had to be asked to that mid-20s Todd. I would have said yes, but in my heart of hearts, I was not convinced. Are you convinced? Has Jesus been manifested to your soul that he is the Christ? And there's no other. There can be no other. And that if anyone tried to talk you out of the Christ, you could not be talked out of it because you know him. You've experienced his salvation. You've seen his profound love in your life and he's changed you from who you used to be to who you're growing into now. That's important. In fact, it's crucial for what John is about to tell us because if that is not established, then everything else is going to fall as well. Let's talk about number two, the sign of our enemy, because there, there is an enemy, and we need to be very clear that there is an enemy, and we will. Um, (laughs) We live in Red Sox land, so a little funny story. I, I grew up not cheering for the Red Sox because I didn't live in New England. I cheered for somebody else, and when I first visited Littleton, I had that someone else's hat on my head. Not a good idea. I was walking around Littleton getting some snide looks and remarks because I looked like the enemy, right? And this is not, of course, the enemy we're talking about today, but we know what enemies are, right? Enemies are on the other team. Enemies are the ones that are our rivals. We're not talking about sports or anything physical. We're talking about something spiritual and something, honestly, we can't even see. The worst kind of enemy is the one you can't see. Isn't that correct? No matter how big and scary the enemy is, if you can see that enemy, you can possibly do something about it. But what about the enemies you can't see? What about the ones that are hanging around in the spiritual realm and doing their work behind the scenes, behind the curtain? That's a much different foe. A, they're really smart. B, they've been around a long time. C, they've done their homework and they've learned us. They've learned what our weaknesses are, or what our traps are, and they've, they've done their best to help us walk into those traps. And John doesn't want us to fall into those traps because falling into those traps could be absolutely catastrophic for our souls. So John's going to help us understand this because he says this, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice there's no third option. The spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ is from God The spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In fact, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, the physical Antichrist, we're not sure if he's in the world already. He has not been manifested to us yet. But the spirit of the Antichrist certainly is. And he has been for many, many decades and centuries The spirit of the Antichrist is all around us, simply trying to distract and deter us away from the one who is the true sovereign Messiah in Christ. And he's been around a long, long time, and his his goal is very, very obvious. Make less of Jesus and make more of everything else. Who is this Antichrist? Well, you come to 2 Corinthians 5, and the Apostle Paul, zoom in here a little bit, he says this, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Of course there's many lies we can be told, but what would be the one primary lie the antichrist would want to say to us? Jesus is not the Christ. Or maybe there's many Christs, many saviors, many paths to God, many paths to the kingdom of heaven out there. Find yours, I'll find mine, we'll all get there our different ways. That's what the antichrist would say because he is the father of lies. He who denies his Father and the Son. Because you have to understand, if you deny the Son, you deny the Father who sent the Son. They're a package deal. You don't get God without Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you get God the Father as well, because God the Father is the one who sent his only begotten Son to this world so that those who believe would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That was God's plan. So if Jesus is the Christ, we have eternal life. We can know we have eternal life because we believe that and we We confess it, and we stake our very soul on the fact that Jesus is the Christ. But the Antichrist, he wants to slide in and say something different. And he's going to be very subtle in his attempts, but he's going to blur Jesus. I don't even know if you can see that there, but there's supposed to be a cross here. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, wants to blur the Son of God. He wants to make spirituality or religion or others more prominent because he doesn't want Jesus to be prominent because he would know that would hurt his kingdom. So he has to highlight anything and everything else. Here in our society, it's probably wealth and riches, at least in the flesh. But even the devil knows that's not good enough. We don't just want physical. We want physical for a time, but we know physical will pass away. The smart ones of us at least know that. So we need something beyond the physical. We need something in the spiritual realm So that we know when the physical passes, we have something else to fall back on. And the devil knows that and he's already thought of that. So he's going to send forgeries, fakes to us, to our souls, to our minds to help us see that possibly Jesus Christ is not as important as the word of God says that he is. The question I have is that when I read this is going, why is that the thing? If if the spirit of Antichrist comes and speaks to our mind and to our heart, Why is this the one thing that he wants to work on? Why deny that the Christ came in the flesh? It's a good question, right? Why is that the lie that he wants to tell us? That Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. He could tell us a thousand things to get us off track, but that's the one that John says he's going to focus on. Well, if you think about it, it doesn't take too long why he would want to undermine that one truth. Let's work through a couple reasons. Number one, it's the foundational truth for the gospel. If Christ does not come in the flesh, then there is no Savior. We're on our own. And if we're on our own, then we have no foundation. I actually found a house on the internet. I don't know what is going on there, but that is a bad idea. And I don't even know how to build, guys, but I'm looking at that going, that is a bad idea. Um, Putting your house on cinder blocks or pallets or whatever that is, probably not going to go well, okay? Now, that's a beautiful-looking house, but without the foundation, the whole thing will fall down, right? If there's no foundation, if there's no Christ, if there's no Savior, the whole house one day is going to collapse. It won't take much pressure at all. Why would the spirit of the Antichrist want to remove the fact that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Because that means we're on our own. We have no foundation. We could build a beautiful, glorious-looking house But when the wind comes and the weather comes and the storm of God's wrath comes, what's going to happen to that house? It's not established on truth or righteousness or forgiveness. That house is going down. And that's exactly what the spirit of the Antichrist wants to have happen. On the last day, we stand on nothing. We're on our own. We're on our own merits, our own doings, our own religious activity. And we have no Christ beneath us. What's going to happen to houses That house, when it it happens on Judgment Day, every single house that is not founded upon the Christ is going to collapse. And Jesus himself, in the Sermon on the Mount, told us that. The The wise man who built his house upon the rock, the weather and the wind will beat on that house, but it will not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And the foolish man will build his house upon the sand. When the weather and wind and storms beat against that house, it fell and great was the fall of it. So why undermine that one truth to take away our foundation? You take away our foundation, it does not matter what we know. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we build. Without a foundation, the house is going to come down at some point. Number two reason is nothing can hurt us more than removing our Savior and Shepherd. Do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter what happens in this life, as long as you have your Savior and your Shepherd, you're good? I hope you believe that. Because there's many waves, there's many turbulent things, there's many trials in this world that we sometimes get stripped of things that really, really mean things to us. But if we have our Savior and we have our Shepherd, we're good. We're safe. We're protected. We're rich. We're alive forevermore. So why remove that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Because He knows that without Christ, we have no Savior, we have no Shepherd, and we will drown. In fact, the scriptures made it abundantly clear that without Christ, we're already dead in our sins. Dead in our sins with no hope without God in the world. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to be that savior, to be that shepherd, so that we would have solid ground upon our feet. Why remove Jesus as the Christ? Because that would destroy our souls. Number three, without Jesus, we have no access to God or to heaven. It's interesting that the, the holy the uh, the devil the spirit of the antichrist would actually trade you a happy prosperous life here upon the earth as long as you have no access to the kingdom of heaven and sadly it happens all the time the devil the spirit of the antichrist will highlight riches and value of the, in this world but he will devalue what's really valuable on the other side which is entrance to the kingdom of god He wants to make that trade. He wants you to make that trade because he knows that if you give up the Christ, you really have nothing. Because if you have something great, but it's only for a time, do you really have it? You're borrowing it. You're renting it. It's on loan. Everything we have in this life does not belong to us. We need something tangible, something eternal. We need to know that when we pass from this life, we are going to walk headlong into the kingdom of God. And only Jesus, he said it in John 14:6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody can find entrance to God. No one can find entrance to the kingdom of God without the Christ. So why undermine that truth? He wants to remove our hope. He doesn't care if we're happy in this life, we're not happy in this life. In fact, he probably wants us happy in this life so that we're distracted from the next life and from the one who can make it all possible. So the apostles in the New Testament had to spend a lot of time on this concept that Jesus Christ was someone very important. Paul himself says, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, when you have a foundation, it's a strong foundation. And not only is it a strong foundation, but according to God's estimation, it's the chief cornerstone. Now what happens when you build It lasts. Do you see the difference? Now when we build it, now when we craft this church around the Word of God and craft this church around the things of God, now this church can stand. Now our lives can stand. Now one day our hope does not have to be eroded because we're upon the chief cornerstone. And this is what John is trying to remind us, that it all depends on who we stand upon. And therefore, the one who is speaking to us had better reiterate that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And if Jesus Christ is not the chief cornerstone, then we have no foundation, and therefore we have no hope. It all depends on Jesus. In verse 3, John says this, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. And we know that because we hear these messages from time to time. I hear these messages from time to time. Focus on something else. Follow something else. Give your attention, your love, your energy to something else. There's many valuable things, Todd. Many great things in this life. Experience as many as you can. Why would anyone want to tell me that? Because they know how valuable the Christ is. And I remember that in my early part of my 20s, chasing anything and everything I could that had joy attached to it. I wanted joy. So I I chased as many things as I could that I thought would give me joy, and I found joy at least for a little while. But it wasn't lasting joy, and it wasn't hope, and it couldn't take care of my sins. It couldn't give me a right relationship with God. It couldn't give me access to the kingdom of God. Who did I need more than anything? I needed the Christ. I needed the Messiah. I needed the only Son of God. I needed Jesus. God, to God be the glory. I got that Jesus that day, and my life changed. Here I am as a pastor. All because that happened. So John reminded us in the past lesson, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, listen, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because the spiritual realm is amongst us. And we get messages sent to our brain and to our hearts. I, I don't even know how many a day. I mean, would it, would it be a tough to say hundreds or thousands of messages are sent to our brain every single day? How do you know they're from God? I hear this a lot when i spent time with young adults is they'll say, God told me to do this. God wants me to do this. And it all sounded great because, man, that's great. God's setting up your life. God's putting some things in order. But my question to these young adults was the same thing. How do you know it's God? How do you know it's God? If it's not God, who could it be from? possibly the other side. Now, I'm not saying it's not God when you hear messages to your brain, but John doesn't want us to stop and assume that every message sent to our brain and heart lines up with Scripture or lines up with the message of Christ. He wants us to test them. They should be tested, every single one of them, because they should all say the same thing, follow Jesus. We went about this last time. We answered these four questions this is how you could test the spirits to see whether they're from God, is what do they tell us? What do they say to us? Well, the Spirit of God would remind you to obey Jesus. That's incredibly important. Number two is how do they speak to us? Do they speak order into our life or confusion into our life? Because the Holy Spirit would speak order into your life. He would structure your life. He would would let you understand the Scriptures clearly, abundantly, so that you could follow them clearly and abundantly. Number three is, where do they guide us? Because the Holy Spirit of God would always, always, always beckon us forward. You're not there yet. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep following his commands. You'll get there. Keep going. And lastly, who is the focus? It had better be Jesus. Jesus. It had better be Jesus. If the Spirit is telling you anything else, and he is really crafty, he'll, he'll give you almost anything and it really, really close things to Jesus. He'll give you church, even. He'll give you religion. He'll give you things that sound very, very close to Jesus. He just wants to make sure that you're not actually standing upon the cornerstone because he knows that's the only thing that can hurt him and the only thing that can bless you. So test the Spirit's. Are they from God? Am I listening to the right one? Do they line up with what the word of God says? We've talked about our helper. We've talked about our enemy. And let's now talk about the sign of our victory. I'm thankful that John doesn't end there. Um, now, we've used a couple of illustrations. I don't know if you remember this game. Uh, how, many, how many years ago this was? Seven or eight years ago. And you remember, remember this game? The New England Patriots, our beloved Patriots, were down 28 to 3. Uh somewhere in the third quarter, it looked pretty bleak. Anyone turn the TV off when they were watching that game? No one else did. Well, you guys are hardcore. I was like, "What else is on?" I'm watching this game. It's 28 to three. It's a blowout. The Falcons are trouncing the Patriots, and it's it's honestly an embarrassing game to watch. Thinking Tom Brady's legacy is going to be hurt, and well, we know the rest of the story. What happened? The New England Patriots stormed back, and they ended up winning overtime, 34 to 28. It's the greatest comeback in the history of sports. Why do I bring this up? Well, this is similar to how it feels for us right now. It looks like the world is winning and the world is dominating. We would all say the world's getting worse, right? Getting darker. Maybe God is losing. Maybe Christians are losing. Maybe we're on the wrong team. Maybe we should consider switching teams before the final buzzer because it looks as if the world is going up and Christ and Christians are going down well it may look that way and maybe it does look that way but we've learned from scripture we'll be reminded of scripture again the final score has not been yet determined or has it because 2000 years ago what happened jesus died on the cross and three days later he arose from the grave it must have felt very similar to that for the devil being on the opposite team of that john says this little children very affectionate you are from god Listen, if you've passed these tests that we've gone through in 1 John, it's very abundantly clear that you are from God. If you can obey his commandments, if you can listen to his word, if you listen to the right spirit, if you have God dwelling within you, then you are from God, and therefore you have overcome them. The world, yes, but more importantly, the spirit of the Antichrist. You've overcome them. You've overcome them, not because you're strong, but because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Now, if you're looking for a life passage, let me give you that one. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God, and it will overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, in the world, we are full of stuff. I don't know if you know if we can see that. But things like... Stress and mental depression, worry, panic, anxiety, and what's happening in our culture. These are getting bigger, aren't they? Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We need more therapists. We need more books. We need more distractions. We need more medication because it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You see what the spirit of the Antichrist is doing? You're losing. And sin is winning. Darkness is winning and light is losing. Look around you. It couldn't possibly be worse than it is now. And if it does get worse, how bleak is that picture? And John needs to remind us today that this simple equation, he who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. He, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, no matter whom you put next to him, he is always greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that always? No matter how big and scary the foe looks? Do you believe that your, your Holy Spirit, your Jesus, your Father is always bigger than the enemy? And all you have to do is look into Scripture and find that. That no matter how big the battle was, how big the enemy was, no matter how dark it looked, God always won. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's why we need the Holy Spirit of God. Because the world is big and scary. And it's going to affect our lives and affect our eternal souls in a very negative fashion unless we have someone very, very powerful. Someone more powerful. Guys, I'm just like you. I face insecurities all the time. Worry and anxiety and stress can plague even pastors. So this reminder came to me this week and said, Todd, be, take heart, take heart, Todd. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Focus on him. Don't focus on the storm. Don't focus on the enemy. If you remember that, that happened back in the, the days of the promised land, right? They sent 12 spies to check out the Canaan, the promised land. And 10 of them came back and said, the giants are huge We can't overcome them. It's better to just give up now than be slaughtered on the battlefield. And you got to love Joshua and Caleb. They said the opposite. Our God can take those giants. They're big to us, but they're not big to him. Because he who's greater, he who's in us, is greater than he who is in the world. I want to remember that. I want us all to remember that, that no matter what we face, and we will face chaos and darkness, that our God is bigger. Therefore, keep calm. The battle is won. But again, Not because we're great warriors, because we're not great warriors. I'm not a great warrior. But the battle is won because the battle is not ours, but God's. You do have to fight. You do have to obey. You do have to go forward. You do have to pick up your armor. You do have to grab your sword and go into battle. But you do not have to be the powerful one. You don't have to be. In fact, you're not the powerful one. You go in with obedience to follow his commandments, to go the way that Jesus taught us to go, and God says, I will stand next to you. I will work through you. I will give you the power to overcome the enemies that you have no business even being in battle with. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And at the last day, we're not going to cheer and celebrate ourselves. Who are we going to cheer and celebrate for? The God that gave us the power to overcome all the enemies in our life. He says, referring to these, they are from the world. These spirits of the Antichrist are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. I mean, that makes sense, right? They're from the world. They speak from the world. The world listens to them. I tried to think of a good illustration for this. And the best one that I could come up with is the story of the Pied Piper. You guys remember this story? Now, this story has elements of truth to it. I don't know how much is actually true in that story, but this story basically goes this way. This man was called upon to get rid of a rat problem in a town, okay? And he comes and does that, exactly, he's an exterminator. He comes and drives all the rats out of the town and there was supposed to be a payment given to this man that he never received. And so in anger and disgust, while everyone was at church, ironically, he led all the children away with pretty little flute music and the children followed him and vanished completely forever what is the spirit of the antichrist doing he's doing that exact thing he's learning the music that the people want to hear he's learning the messages that they want to receive and he's playing those messages over and over and over he's not blind he knows what he's doing and he's leading those away from the christ the one that can actually save their souls and john doesn't want any of us to fall victim for this pied piper Because he's definitely around today and he's sending messages just like this and we love these messages they sound so good to our souls you only live once live it up experience anything have a bucket list just go out and experience as many great things as you can before you die because once you're dead it's over is that true no it's not true once you're dead it's not over nothing is wrong if it feels good really it's not true is it lots of things that feel good are wrong and this one is very classic today be your own god be your own god imagine that going into the battle and the only one that you can rely upon is yourself no one bigger no one stronger no one sovereign it's you and all the dark enemies before you that is a terrifying concept but they sound good to the ears don't they and the spirit of the antichrist wants to send you as many messages that sound similar to that because he wants to drive you away from the one who is truly powerful now, we need to be careful here because we, we can start listening to this passage and go, yes, we're right and the world's wrong, na-na-na-na-na-na. That's not what John is doing, right? Because he's also reminded us that we're lights in the darkness. And that the point is not to, to gloat over the world and say, you're wrong, we're right, no matter what your policies are, our, our ones are better than yours. That's not the point. The point is for us to take that message of hope, to the darkness around us and stand confidently in the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ because we have the victory. We have the salvation and we have the hope that the world believes they have and they desperately want, but they don't know it yet. And I just want to remind us of that, that this is not about pride or arrogance. It's all about humility and love. John says this finally in verse 6. He says, We are from God isn't that beautiful? We are from God. Regardless of where we live or if you're a flatlander or a true north countryman, you are from God. We all belong to God. If we're in Jesus Christ, I'm from God and you're from God. In 1 John 3, 1, John said this to us, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we, sinners, broken, desperate souls, should be called the children of God. And so we are. We've been adopted into God's family because of his great love. Not because we deserve it, but because he is so merciful and so kind. So John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. John was an apostle. John is speaking a Christian message that Jesus himself spoke. And he's saying, listen, Whoever is of God is going to take this message from God's word and hold it in their hearts very closely because it came from God himself. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. It'll be foolishness to them. That's another good test. If you walk out of there and go, bah, I don't know what that guy was talking about, but it's not important. That's something to be careful about because you might not be from God. Because this message comes right out of the mouth of God's Holy Spirit in Scripture's. And John says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this we know. What does it say about Jesus? This world that we live in, sadly, is rejecting Jesus at a rampant rate. They're finding their own way. They're finding their own way to live their life. They're finding their own way to spirituality. They're finding their own way to God. They don't need someone who lived 2,000 years ago to do anything for them, so they reject the one who could be their cornerstone. And this happened in Peter. Peter said this about, sadly, the Jewish people of his day was saying, listen, they were kicking Jesus aside like he was a pebble in their shoe when in all reality, he was the chief cornerstone of their lives. They could have built and stood upon him for the rest of eternity, but they kicked him aside like he was nothing valuable. The world is doing that right now, and it's devastating because it's the one who came to save them and to love them forever. But something is also happening that Christians are under attack. Now, they are somewhat in the North Country, and they will be probably more so in the future. But all around the world, all around the world, Christians are under heavy, heavy persecution because they say Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, and there is no other. And there's a very strong line to draw within a, in a society, in a community that doesn't believe that. But once we draw that line, we draw it firmly, we are now susceptible to harm. But John wants us to know that just because Christians are persecuted doesn't mean we're losing. In fact, it's a sign of victory. Because why would the spirit of the Antichrist have to attack us? Why? Why would he have to send so many... I have to tell you as a pastor, I face, I face so much of this inward persecution, this inward mind attack. Why would he have to attack me? I'm nobody. I'm a simple pastor in the North Country. Why would he have to come after me? Isn't the point because I have something that could damage his team? Why does he have to attack Christians? Because we have someone that can really harm his cause. It's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Truth or error, and there's nothing in between. Remember when John said, love like Jesus, otherwise you're like Cain. Remember how there was like no middle ground? It's like, can't there be something in the middle? Can't it be kind of truth? John says, no, you're either listening to truth or you're listening to error. And if it's error, it's dangerous, dangerous error. It's leading you away from the one who wants to save your soul for the rest of eternity. And we just we talked about the, uh, the New England Patriots storming back to win that game. John wants to remind us of this. He says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith in Jesus. Again, not because we're strong, not because we're smart, not because we went to school, not because we listened to sermons, but simply because our faith is upon the object of, of the one who is the true son of God the most powerful being in existence. He's my savior. He's my shepherd. He's my lord. He is my friend. He is the one who fights battles for me and through me. The reason that I have overcome the world and overcome all the antichrists of the world is simply because I'm with Jesus. And at the last day that's all that matters is who are you with? Who did you listen to? Who did you structure your life around? Who did you stand upon? It has to be Jesus. Not just because your voice tells you, but because we can look at your life and see that your life matches up. The same things that you're producing are the same things that Jesus produced. The same things that came out of Jesus' mouth are the same things that are coming out of your mouth. If there's no similarity, we need to be worried that possibly we don't have the Christ like we think we do. In every one of these lessons, we find something that glorifies God and benefits our soul, and today is no different. God is glorified when we recognize that His plan has always been right and we submit to that plan with our lives. God's plan has always been this, for always since the beginning of time for us to see Jesus. He has been developing that plan for thousands and thousands of years and even beyond that for His people to see the Savior. And so one day when we recognize, if we recognize that, God will be tremendously glorified when we say to God, God, you are right and you always have been right. And I said that as a 20-something year old man, God, I'm wrong and you're right. I'm chasing the wrong things and you have the right thing and I need to turn around, I need to repent, and I need to follow your son. God was glorified that day. But we are also benefited when we use God's helper to defeat God's enemy, to stand with Jesus in eternal victory. That's our victory someday that's not something we just watch on a tv screen going wow what a beautiful thing to to witness we get to stand in victory someday we get to side with jesus christ we get the gates of heaven to open for us on the last day when god invites his people into his house forever that's our victory so we're benefited when we use god's helper his holy spirit to defeat that enemy and to stand with jesus in victory well what's the point of today it's very simple our enemy is real and determined to defeat us using lies and deception. And don't think just because you're a Christian you can't be attacked with lies and deception. He goes after the Christians more than anybody. He already belong, the rest of the world already belongs to the devil. He doesn't have to do much. But he comes after us with lies and deception so that he can guide us and lure us away from the Christ. Our safety and guaranteed victory results from staying near Jesus and letting him fight through us. And I need to remember that as a pastor. It's not my strength. It's not my abilities. It's not my words. It's the power of Christ working through me, speaking through me. Please pray for me that way. And I will pray for you that way. That we depend upon his power to defeat his enemy, to stand in his victory. It's the spiritual war part two. Jesus said this, you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour. You do not expect him. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to this earth. And when he comes back to this earth, there will be two teams, two teams only, with and against. We've either defeated the enemy or we're with the enemy. And I would encourage all of us to get out there and stand in victory in this world with the hope of Christ, with the message of Christ, knowing that when we fight through the power of God, we fight and win. And it's a guaranteed message from God. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this message today because it's one that reminds us, Father, that we are not the ones who can win this battle. But, Father, you have always been the one who wins this battle. And you've designed it that way. You don't want us to fight on our own. You don't want us to lose. You don't want us to be harmed or deceived in any way. You want us to win. And you know the only strategy for that winning is to fight with you on your team the way you've taught us by simply looking to Jesus and obeying his commandments. Father, help us to remember it's a simple strategy, but it's a powerful strategy. Don't let us look to the right or the left. Let us find Jesus every single day and follow him as closely as we can because our victory is at stake. We thank you for this reminder today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing one more time together?